This is the Average Guy Network, and you have found Home Gadget Geek show number 330, recorded on October 12th, 2017. Here in Home Gadget Geeks, we cover all the favorite tech gadgets that find news reviews, product updates, and conversation all for the average tech guy. I'm your host, Jim Collison, broadcasting live from kind of a messy AverageGuy.tv studios. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about it, some new equipment. I've been moving things around, but I got stuff all over the place. There's a mic buried in this pile of a check for like 600 bucks. I need to I, take that to well, the bank. Yeah, it was a loan. <laughs> it was the loan proceeds back. You know, when you put your kids in college, you take out all this money. They can't figure it out like to the penny. So there was a little more. So they send it back. So it'll eventually go to pay something off. Right. But uh, of course, so it's kind of messy here at the average guy.tv studios, but we post a show world-class show notes each week out at the average guy.tv. You can also join us live on the mobile app each week. If you want to catch us live and you know, a dozen of you do head out to homegadgetgeeks.com, download the app for free Android and iPhone. Actually there was an Android or there was an iPhone update to that app this week for iOS 11. So if you haven't to check that out, go out there and get that download and get it updated. We appreciate you listening to it. We thank LastPass for their sponsorship of that app. And uh, um, Amber is coming on here on the 2nd of November. I think that's the right day. And uh, you'll want to join us for that as well. The best way to support the show, though, is through Patreon, both pre and post show. Now available out there if you want to. And a couple of you did this week, Chad. Thank you for doing that. Michael Ray uh, redid his. Thank you guys for uh, for supporting us on Patreon and one and five dollar plans. Or actually, you can do whatever you want on Patreon. It's pretty easy as long as it's in dollar increments. You can, you can't like do a dollar seventy five, but it's uh, out there and available for you if you go to theaverageguy.tv and just click on the Patreon link. It's there. We want to thank Kyle Wilcox last week for his amazing demo of the podcast studio and kind of YouTube studio is what I'm calling it of what he did in his school district. And uh, if you haven't checked that out yet, go back to 329 and Kyle did a great job. I got a that lot. That was fantastic. Of, yeah, good. Oh, well, well, one of the best episodes. I was listening to that as I was driving down to Wichita and I was like, oh man, that that was cool. One of those where I had to go back though and look at the video to see the pictures you guys were talking about because I was driving just listening to the audio. Uh, but fantastic show. He did a great job. Yeah, he did. Kyle, thanks for, for doing that. He's uh, He has been um, on fire over at the Spreaker Live show as well. He sent in a, uh, an audio question, and he's just been working with Rob and Alex over there. So, Kyle, nice work on the show. If you missed it, head back 329. Uh, love to have you catch up on that. Today, we're going to catch up with Mike Weaker. Mike, welcome back, man. Great to see you. Feels like I haven't been here in like a year. I know it's only been like a month and a half or so, but it feels like it's been forever. There was actually like a cobweb from my monitor down to my mixer because I haven't been down here in so long. I've just been uh, out of town every single week. Not good. You and I have been, oh, not every week, but we've been getting together a couple times on some of the weeks, some more than others. We'll talk about some why here as we talk a little bit about the mining, but what, uh, what's been going on at work? Anything interesting? Uh, KPMG been keeping you just busy at this very, point? Very, very busy. Yeah, doing a lot of cool stuff, actually. Um, working a lot with uh, IPO stuff lately. So very fun, exciting times with the people we work with. And it's kind of a, a new experience for me, something I haven't done in my first year. But uh, so it's it's learning and helping them out. So it's a lot of fun doing all that sort of stuff, but also keeping me on the road. So I've been down in... Uh, in Kansas for the last few months, but uh, I'll be back here and hopefully 
back in the seat more often come November. And then the, the, the little one, you know, is coming in December. So we're going to have two little runs running around this house coming in December. It's one is easy. One is easy. Yeah. Two, well, one is easy. Two is some work. Three, you're just drowning. That's <laughs> yeah. uh, so quit. It's, it's not good. It's not good at three. It's, it's zone D instead of, it's still man to man at two. And then you go into zone D and it's just all downhill. It's just prevent. There. It's just prevent yeah. defense. That's all you're, that's, that's all you're doing at that point. Yeah. yeah. You're just, just going to survive. You have, um, Mike, um, you and I, we've been spending a lot of time. I, I don't know if you followed this, but you know, you and I have been spending a lot of time thinking about just this big, not, not Bitcoin mining, so to speak, but altcoin mining, right? Right. We've been working on a little Saya. We've been doing nice hash, which is, you know, it's got some equa hash and it's got some other things in it. Um, we've been doing this pool mining with GRC, which works with the Boink kind of service. So you can do protein folding and you can do world community grid and you can do SETI and you can do any of those that are part of the Boink, uh, kind of that Boink family that allows you to, to, to mine for those. I don't know. Did you follow? Did you see Dave McKay bought a... GPU so he could do some mining too. I heard about it on the show that he did it. Is it going well for him? Have you have you checked in with him? I haven't checked in with him yet, uh, yet to see how it's going. I it's think addicting. he wants uh, it, it is. He's going to end up with more than one. Like there's no way you can buy one and stay with one. There's no way. Uh, I, I came in, I came down here the other the other morning. It was super warm down here. We had turned off all the air in the house cuz it's in Nebraska right now. It's in the 40s, 50s, 60s where you don't really need to run air or heat. Right. Yep. Right. And so it's just. And you have stagnant. one on, it never really even turns on because it just stays in that temperature. Yep. Yeah. So the house was kind of stagnant. We should have turned on the fan uh, at that point, but we didn't. So I came down, it was kind of hot. And I just have two cards going. But you're right. It, it can be one of those things that gets going. Let's, let's uh, update on your rigs really quick because you bought a bunch of cards and we won't get, for the regular listeners, we won't get too nerdy on this. But no. tell us what you're up to. And then. You've been monitoring them from a distance. Like you leave for four days and have to come back. How have you been doing that? So a quick little update from you. Yeah, so I, I started out with one card. Uh, I, I kind of built this little side machine. And the way I kind of built it was it's kind of a hybrid open case and closed case. So I took a really cheap $15 case off Amazon, uh, put the, you know, the motherboard, everything in there, the hard drive. And I actually just drilled a hole in the side of the case and ran all the power cables and data cables out. And now I have four graphics cards because I wanted this to be sitting in my server rack. So this was kind of the best build I could do uh, so that it would fit nicely in the server rack. Um, and so I grabbed four AMD 480s, which are uh, X 480s, which are kind of a good card. They have great efficiency, so power efficient, um, and um, a pretty good hash rate at the same time. So it's kind of like a it's, a, it's a good sweet spot card, just like on your side. Yours is the NVIDIA sweet spot. And this is kind of on the AMD side, the AMD sweet spot. So I got four of those running in this rig. And it does get really hot. Like I keep pointing over here because it's actually right over here. I can hear it. I don't know if you guys can hear it, but it's, it's a little bit noisy. The fans run um, quite a bit on it. And it, it keeps it actually keeps the area right around there very warm. This basement is usually freezing. And I've noticed the temperature is a little bit higher now that we've been doing that. But yeah, running that and running nice hash with it. So and using then, the nice hash. What kind, of, what kind of returns are you seeing on a daily average? You, you, you just, after you run this for a while, you get kind of a feel of what it's like daily. What, it, what yeah, do you see? It, it fluctuates. It'll be, I think, I think my average is about $4.90 a day. So it'll go sometimes down to $4.50, and sometimes it'll be up at $5.50, $5.40. So it's looking about right now that I'm getting $130 a month 
Um, so my next payout tomorrow for two weeks is $75. So tomorrow is like my payout and that's every two weeks. So that's 75. So, you know, hundred and sometimes it'll be between 125 and 150 bucks. So is your plan to leave it your, you, I assume, are you moving that to Coinbase or you just keep it in the nice house? Yeah, no, it sends it straight to Coinbase. Oh, okay. Yep, sends it straight to my Coinbase account. I don't have it tracked through or going to neither a wallet. It was just easier for me that way. They do take a little bit more of a fee out and just like a like an extra percentage or something, yeah. uh, which for me it just saves an extra transfer. Makes it which easy. Which is pretty small. Uh, and then oh, very small. You you already own Bitcoin. You'd made a pretty good investment uh, back in the day. By the way, as we record this, <laughs> this is just ridiculous. Five thousand four hundred thirty-two dollars of Bitcoin right now. I mean, I, yeah. that's the the first time I've really seen the five thousand sustained, it's just yeah. ridiculous. It's just ridiculous what that is. But you had you you heeded Edward's advice. You I did. bought. I think I bought back at like two thousand two hundred or something like that. Yeah, which we all thought was crazy. Yeah, right? we all thought that was nuts. I thought it was like thirteen hundred. It doubled. Something. Yeah, I think it might have been thirteen. I don't. Know, I can't remember what it was. But, and so uh, you've made all that money back. Yeah. Yeah. Right, you've pulled some of it out to buy. I pulled the original money. investment out, back out, put that back in the savings account. So now this is all just fun money in here, yeah. um, and it just keeps growing, and I'm I'm loving it. So for me now, all this stuff in here, I, I have no fear about it. It's not like, oh, should I sell now? I don't worry about it because it's all profit. I already took out what I originally put in, so now yeah. it's just watching it for fun. Once again, Mike Weger does the right thing, Jim. Does <laughs> you didn't heed you know the advice? Oh, you might Yeah, it's all right. And so you know it. It um, you know, you've done pretty well with it. You're not retiring uh, at this point. No, you could have. You could have. Could have. No. Oh, <laughs> if I had put more money in, no, couldn't have retired, but could have uh, no. done a decent. The double does things. not get you to retirement, but nope. uh, it it has been interesting. I have learned, Mike. I, I got to tell you. You know, through this whole exercise, and I have learned a ton about video cards and video card technology. Yep. I've learned a ton about virtual reality through it because every time it comes up, it always goes from Bitcoin to VR, you know, and it's like, oh, hey, but you, we can use these cards and are you using them in headsets? And there's a whole bunch of new headsets coming out um, with it. And and it's just, I don't know, it's been interesting to me. You know, we've, we've looked at Saya, which... Mm -hmm. I think is actually the cheapest coin right now. I think of all the altcoins, I think it's, it's even the cheaper than GRC, coin. which is hard to do. Right. And GRC maybe is a penny, uh, two, three. two cents, three, three, somewhere in there. Yeah. It just depends on the price during the day. It may have gone back up a little bit. They were all, they were all dropping pretty hard a week ago. Oh, or so. Okay. So maybe it's gone down. Well, who knows? Uh, I don't, I don't really think of it that way. Uh, you know, GRC for those listening, GRC is the coin that supports the boink, the, the, the kind of the SETI, those kinds of things. And um, it's just been, for me, it's kept me in the blockchain world. And yeah. so Vint Cerf was on campus this week. And one of his topics was Bitcoin and the blockchain. And so I missed it, but it was good. Every, when, as soon as I got there, I started getting texts from my coworkers. They're like, oh, you can ask Vint, you can ask Vint about the, the you know, blockchain. Because they know, you know, right. they know now I've been talking about this for a while. And, uh, but it's just given me some, it's given me a little bit of context and conversation. I think the blockchain is going to be an important part of what we do with technology. Maybe not around Bitcoin. I think that's a bubble that could burst easily. But there's these 60 altcoins alt that are out there, and everybody's thinking of different ways to figure out how to use these for transaction and value. 
And uh, I, and that's the big part, I think. Too. I think I think you nailed it on the head. So for me, I mean, the the cryptocurrency is cool, fun, and it, it kind of provides context for the blockchain. Um, but the blockchain has really been the one thing I've been focusing on, uh, especially because at KPMG, it's it's something that we're really starting to focus on. And I think our, a lot of our clients are asking us questions on it. I mean, this is a big part that all the big industries are now starting to finally realize that this is this is a this is like the I mean, people are equating it to like the dot-com era, whereas like this is a brand new technology that's going to radically change things. And the faster we jump on with it, kind of the better. But everyone's also heeding the warnings of the blockchain. Just because you have this tool doesn't mean it doesn't, you know, you don't have to apply it to everything. Like it's very useful at certain things, but this is not a one-size-fits-all, replace all your databases with blockchain. Um, it's But it, it will be fantastic for for certain applications. So yeah, for me, it's been kind of the context. It keeps me in the game. And then, I mean, I have just gone down the rabbit hole with blockchain. I mean, I've listened to this podcast on every drive and I spend 10 hours in the car each week driving to and from uh, Kansas. And I've probably consumed 60 or 70 hours worth of just blockchain stuff. And I try to avoid the strictly cryptocurrency ones because I'm not really, that's not really my interest. I want to know, okay, what are businesses doing with the blockchain? And I think for you and me too, Jim, I mean, you and I just like new, like, I don't know if you call it a hobby or like a rabbit hole. Or we just like to go and we also, we just dive in and we like, we just keep learning about it and going about it until we've pretty much exhausted, you know, like, okay, now I'm kind of bored of that. Now I'll move on to the next thing. Yeah. But this one has kind of kept our interest for a while. You and I kind of go down these little paths together. I think and, by the uh, time general adoption one. is in place, right? As people, as the average guy starts adopting it, we're kind of like, ah. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Old news, you know, kind of thing. I right. I would equate this. I wouldn't even equate this to the original dot com. This is Windows ninety five. Like it's it it people are excited about it. It's working, but it's still untested. And think of all the security flaws and all the problems with Windows ninety five and Windows ninety eight and Windows ME and Windows two thousand in those days. And I know a lot. The you know, I know you, the listener who's listening right now. Chances are you lived that through with me. And, and you remember those days. I think the blockchain is like that today. It's completely untested. There's lots of question marks with it. It's, its value is still kind of like, okay, we're not really sure. We know we can use this. We're not really sure how we're going to use it. And so I think we're just early. It's yeah, well, I, I think there are different concerns, though, right? So with Windows, 90, Windows 95, it was security issues, stability issues, things like that. Whereas with the blockchain, I mean, the one thing we do know about it is how secure it is. Like the one thing that we know for sure is right. that it is secure. Right. Okay. Yeah. So now it's what areas of our businesses does this apply well to? I mean, obviously we know the general ledger, that's what it is. Um, do we start to, I mean, do you have a private blockchain of just your company or is this something that you use throughout the entire, you know, process of any sort of process chain? Uh, so, so where do you apply? I think the question marks here are, you know, what is a nail? And, you know, this, we have this hammer, which is a blockchain. What are the nails and what are things that, okay, no, don't hit it with that. Like, don't, yeah. don't try it. And I think we're still testing it out in that way. Um, but I think the one thing we are for sure about is like, it is very secure, far more secure than any other technology we've ever had to date. Uh, not to say it's full, it's like, you know, hundred percent right. safe, but it's a uh, far more um, secure than any but other it's technology. Slow. It's slow. It is a transactionally, it is Correct. very, very slow, right? Yeah, this, so is, not, it's this is not something crippling. that Visa is going to go use. Like, right. you know, the credit card companies cannot go implement blockchain. Uh, it just wouldn't work. Um, but you look at... Uh, so far, so right. far. 
right? I mean, the next whiz kid may come along and create, you know, and, and build upon this to create a faster, you know, a faster system, a transactional system. I think of when, you know, we mentioned Vint Cerf earlier, I think about 1976 when he created, uh, when he was on the team and created the internet and they, I, you know, he has said, you know, the I, IVP4, IPV4 had bi- mil- billions of addresses and we thought it'd be plenty, right? you know, and, and, you know, not until, you know, not until the late 90s did they start doing the math, you know, carry the one. Oh, crap. <laughs> like, this isn't going to be enough. Right. And so I think there's going to be we're in the very early iterations of the blockchain. And I just think it's going to get we're going to see some new implementations of it that will address some of those issues of speed and size. And, you know, today the blockchain has to be mined. And so you have to build out the blockchain and is that economically efficient for all in all cases, right? Right. And are there going to be other ways to do it? We've seen ASIC miners rise up, you know, especially on Bitcoin because of the the value in it. Will that be the next way that is it? Are they all going to be just dedicated miners? Will we see a new generation of hardware come out just because of the blockchain, right? And, you know, uh, who knows? Yeah, I, I mean, I think there could be blockchain-enabled, I mean, servers that are almost just servers dedicated to that, especially because, you know, for a company, if you have a private blockchain, you don't need millions of nodes. You could have five or six. I mean, depending on what your level of risk is and what your risk appetite is, you could go with a very low number. Um, obviously, you need more than three. Uh, but beyond that, you can have as many nodes as you think is secure enough for you. Um, but, but, but yeah, it's it's going to be... It's going to be very, very interesting going forward as companies start to deal with it. You know, NASDAQ is coming out with their own solution to help these big companies implement the blockchain. And yeah. so you start to see these Microsoft, um, and then you've got obviously the big four that are jumping in to help consult on top of these. You know, we will, you know, implementation, you know, how do you use this? How do we audit it? All those sort of questions and more and more customers surprisingly and it's a lot of, in a lot of industries that I never would have thought they would have asked the question hey we've heard about this blockchain thing is that would that be useful for us is that something we should look into and then you have to have a very long conversation with them because it's still kind of one of those technologies like you said where it's like a lot of the big people in the room don't really get it what, what, why would we use blockchain what is it like you said it's not very fast there's a lot of things we got to talk about um, so it's a very complex conversation to have right now yeah. From a gadget standpoint, uh, we, we do see some, there's been some talk of getting these miners down to the point where they can, where phones can mine, you know, and, and so, you know, that adds a new piece to it of when you plug your phone in at night, are you going to be able to turn that on and let it do some computational, um, and it's just changing. What's interesting is it's forcing the hardware to change. So as we think about these video cards now, and the video card industry is being very, very cautious about how much R&D it puts in and new cards it puts out. But, you know, what's the other, what's the other buzzword these days? AI and machine learning. Yeah. And both of those technologies are very dependent on the same GPU processing that's being done in mining. And I, and I really think the mining industry, what's driving us crazy right now is actually pushing, can and will push forward some advancements with the, with the processing we need for really deep machine learning. And so I think in the end, it'll be great that we've had this kind of motivation move the industry in a way that will make our computation, this will fade eventually. The blockchain will just become a 
thing people do, right? It's it, it th this is the wild, wild west. Literally, people out panning for gold, right? Literally, yeah. I don't think that's going to last all that long. No, and it won't. And the blockchain, the difference between this and the dot com era too, is that the customer will not notice anything different. The everyday person will never know that they actually, it'll only be us that will know about the blockchain even going forward. I mean, other people might hear the buzzword like database. Okay, you ask a person on the street, they might be able to tell you what a database is. They might be able to say, okay, blockchain, something like that. But to the average customer, nothing's going to change. So this is not going to be some groundbreaking the whole world all of a sudden realize like, oh my gosh, I can go online now. No, it's like not one of those revelations. So it's going to be a very, you know, under the hood improvement. Yeah. which I think is actually good because we have this mining industry, which has garnered a bunch of interest in it. Um, but it's not something that needs to reach like this mass scale. Like you don't have, you don't need to impress all your users with blockchain, but it gets interest in the technology, which moves it along, which gets people talking about it. And I think the implementation will happen faster because of the mining industry, right? Everyone's got kind of skin in the game. You give people skin in the game, and all of a sudden, they're very interested in it. It's kind of the, the kind of the reason behind the ICOs. When people are doing these initial coin offerings, and they're offering these coins, and people are buying these coins or mining these coins in these new projects, uh, think of Saya as an example. You've now given these everyday people. They're almost like your investors, and they've got skin in the game, and they're very interested in your product that you're making. And you no longer have just like a community, as in like a forums or whatever a traditional community used to be that was excited about a new product. Like if you think about Madden, when the new Madden 18 comes out, you know, or the new Call of Duty, you have a community around that's excited. But now you have interest where people actually have skin in the game. They've either invested money, they've invested computing resources, whatever it is. Yeah. So the whole mining industry. Um, you're right. It's going to change. I think over the next few years, I don't think it's going to last, uh, especially because ASICs are going to become the new standard and those are expensive and there's going to be a big barrier to entry, which is going to be expensive cost. for now though. Expensive for now. Right. I mean, they may not always be expensive and, and well, but once they come down in cost, they won't be profitable to mine. I think, right. you know what I mean? So yeah. where it's profitable now to mine, uh, they're expensive. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, it's interesting also, you know, that technology will bleed its way into virtual reality for sure. Yeah. So we're going to see, I think we're going to see some of the advancements that's being pushed forward because there's money in it, right? right? Anytime there's money in these businesses, it pushes, the technology can move along a lot faster. And so I think we'll see VR, uh, the VR headsets that that come out this Christmas by two years from now, we'll, we'll be wondering like how the, how the heck did we ever put up with those? They're going to be so much better. And then gaming, of course, will be better. I think we're going to see some, it will push the game box, you know, the, the game boxes, the PlayStations, the Xbox. Um, it'll push those or give those the ability to go even faster and provide even better graphics. So it's interesting whenever we talk about this, I, I, I know I get the, I know I get the listener who's like, God, stop, like stop talking about Bitcoin. But it, it has such a long arm, uh, in, in a long reach at this point in what the industries it's affecting, and it's all in the gadget space. I mean, think about this—the new iPhone, right? That that's coming out. It's got this new, you know, virtual reality stuff with it, and that that's a super fast chip. And all that technology, a lot of that technology, is being driven and is being advanced by what we're seeing in the machine learning, AI, and mining space. And you know, there's lots of money in it. Yeah, totally. So, it's yeah. just it, like you said, it has the long arm into a bunch of different industries. 
Um, and I think that, you know, ho hopefully we just talked about maybe more of the blockchain uses rather than we didn't we didn't focus too much on the cryptocurrency side. No. But no. but man, I mean, this is one of those topics where you could talk about it forever. Uh, it's just it touches everything and it's going to have a different effect on a lot of different businesses. Mike, I think the other piece and we at the home server show, we talked about this last week, uh, home server show a couple weeks ago, drone usage. And I, I am like I am this close to getting a drone. I mean, I just, it, the, the, just today I was driving to work and I'm like, all right, I'm buying one. And, and uh, yeah, so I've kind of got bit by that. You, how's the work going for you? You know, you started a company around filming, yeah. you know, how's that going? It's going pretty good, actually. A lot of uptick. I don't know if houses sell more during this time of year, but uh, got one of the people that I already did work for and they want, you know, they own a sub, they kind of own this like contractor type subdivision type you know it's a really odd business model but basically he's got 30 roofs uh, of houses in a subdivision that he wants a video of every single roof because they're all different and he wants to show his customers you know what the different roofing options are and then um some it, just a lot of different people around real estate that are actually really getting into it i think people are seeing the videos on facebook you know a lot of the realtors are posting now like the drone videos and i think all the other realtors are now trying to play catch up but they don't have a drone so now they're quickly trying to find who okay who has a drone who who can i charge uh, for this kind of service so yeah not much actually has like changed and on our end uh still using the same drones and still doing the same business but it's actually growing which is kind of fun i think people are getting more and more into it how much, um, so Vint, when Vint was talking with us the other day, he was talking about like this disaster in Puerto Rico. And of course it wiped out the cell towers. It, yeah. The roads became unpassable. Um, you know, people couldn't charge their phones, but Google came in with, you know, Google's got these big balloons that they can put up and provide kind of cell and Wi-Fi service with these balloons. And they run them through the jet stream. And they've actually, what's really cool is they're all kind of computer controlled. And they calculate, so they'll 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 say, okay, we want you to cover this kind of area. So the balloon starts looking at the weather. It calculates how fast it can get to the spot where it needs to start. Then it will find the prevailing winds to slow itself down. So where can I drag? Where can I get the most drag from so I can stay right in this area of service? And then eventually when I get out of the service, how can I quickly get back into that service? Whether it's it's going up, finding another jet stream to bring it back around and, and loop it around, or do I need to go around the planet again kind of deal? And I thought, man, that is really cool. And then I thought, wait a minute, why couldn't we be doing this with drones where we send them up, they glide in the jet stream, right? And they, they have solar panels on the top. They recharge while they're gliding. Then then when, they, when they've gone over their service area, they turn make an efficient, you know, coming back and then just keep doing the circling, you know, like, like the birds do, you know, they just, make this. I mean, it's just hard to keep, harder to keep those up in the air. Yeah. They're a little right? heavier. Yeah. They're a little heavier. And as soon as they stop spinning, they fall. Whereas the balloon kind of just, well, yeah, but I know, think, I think there's some with, with advancements we're making in drones and lighter materials and some of those things, I think there could be a day how long, okay. I send You send your drone up. How long yeah. can that stay in the air on a current battery charge? Uh, 25, 30 minutes. Okay. And then how long does it take to charge that battery when you bring it back down? Uh, a lot. Like uh, two, three hours? Three, four hours. So three, three I hours, had, I'd say three hours. If I had 10 drones, in theory, I could keep one drone in the air at all times flying while the others are charging, right? Oh, if you had 10 batteries? Yeah. If I had 10 drones. Yeah, yeah. Or, or, 10 dro or they could, or a way to quickly switch those batteries. I just, yeah. 
this was just thinking like, hey, what if what about what if you have these inexpensive drones? And you get the equipment to be able to do the repeater, the cell phone repeater kind of stuff in those things. And then they just constantly, they shoot up and hover for 25 minutes. And before one comes down, the next one comes up. Right. And you're just constantly sending these swarms of, of drones to, to provide these mesh networks. I right? think that'd be interesting. I think it could totally, yeah. totally work. You know, if we, and if we could get that battery charging time faster... And well, like you said, if they're small enough that solar could keep up, right? Like yeah. if you've got those motors using an, as little amount of power as possible, yeah. whereas solar could do an okay job at keeping up, that'd be hard to do. But yeah, well, or even if solar could augment to the to the to the thing, so if it could keep it up, you know, ten minutes longer, so to speak, right. you could. You know, you could have a fleet of these drones repeating this process of taking off. What got me thinking of this is as I was watching Dave McCabe catch this drone with his hand. Yeah. You know, it came Which down. Which one does he have? Do you know? Mm, he's coming on in a couple of weeks. He's going to be on in the ninth. Okay. And the three of us are going to talk drones. We're going to do an all drone show. small? Very small? Mm -hmm. DJI Spark, probably. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to see if I can get Keith Lunsford on as well. But Keith had a bigger one that we were flying around at the meetup. But, you know, a couple of the things. One is, as he sent them up, they were very, very stable. Like, it yeah. was windy. And the the software has gotten really, really good. I was also thinking, like, even, even at my house, when, for security reasons, I could have three or four drones in a, in a, in a battery, you know, landed, in their batteries waiting to go. And if the front cameras detect something, those drones could take off and, and begin to film, right, from above. Now, that would be pretty cool. That, like, and you don't need to, I mean, they wouldn't need, they, they, they can fly up and down and stay. The, the software will keep them stable. Right. Oh, the software is fantastic, yeah. You know, so I was thinking, that would be kind of, wouldn't that be kind of a cool application? Is you're not flying them all the time, but when you the cameras scare them off too, they're like, oh geez, <laughs> yeah. When the when the cameras, it's, it's going back to that that robot lawnmower that's yeah. just always mowing the lawn. If you know, if you've got a couple drones that are always being charged, you can have one on the ready at any given time, right? Yeah. That it senses cool. motion and it just takes off into the sky. Cameras pointing down at the house. You get some pretty good coverage, and it could, I mean, it, it could you lock on one person. Yeah, <laughs> they're running <laughs> away, and this drone's just chasing them. How cool would that be? Yeah, put some buckshot in there, you know. <laughs> yeah. I'm, well, and there's there's legal ramifications of that, and flying over people. Oh, trust me, I'm a lawyer. There's no legal ramifications for that. <laughs> I should say officially that there is. There is. I don't, is, know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if I should joke about that. I was, I was waiting for you to, to, to correct that. Yeah, well, yeah. No, it just, for me, it was just, it got me thinking as we were watching these drones do their thing. And it's cool to race them around and it's really cool to, but you know, I was talking with some folks at Union Pacific and I've been talking to some folks who do building construction and they're using these drones more and more like at Union Pacific, you know, you just send them out with a train. Yeah, and they can, you know, and on a moment's notice, they can take off off the train, and and survey and see what's going on. And I mean, there's just so many really cool applications now. Where two years ago we were crashing them all over the place, yeah. <laughs> you know, they weren't safe enough, right? There was not that safety standard, and they weren't steady enough. The cameras weren't good enough. Uh, even your auditors now are using them for inventory. 
So something at UP, you know, inventory of trains uh, in a big stockyard, you can do that much quicker with a drone than you can sending someone physically out there to watch them. And then agriculture too. Uh, farmers are loving sitting on their back porch and monitoring the fields. And they have this really advanced actual ag app that works with DJI, uh, does all sorts of analytics on the field using the camera. And you on the GPS draw out where your field is and all you say is go. And the application takes, it does the flight path for your drone so that it can perfectly do all this sort of stuff. CAD drawings, 3D of renderings, like you said, of construction. I mean, there's just, with how good the drones are getting now, it's it's insane yeah. the amount of opportunities you have with them. Yeah. No, I that was just one of those things as I was driving to work the other day. I'm like, holy crap, we could we could be doing way more with these drones than it's great to fly them around. But there's some great security things that we could do with them. I'd love to have a few that are just parked on my deck. Yeah. And again, when that front door thing goes off, that just takes off and it's gonna hover, you know, at two hundred feet above my house, and it's just gonna it's gonna start filming what's going on, right? Another level of security that uh, that I really can't get. That's a really know. good idea. I want to try that now. Yeah, <laughs> but that's figuring that out. It well, it's it's an if this then that. If your video camera triggers an event, then send the drone up, and then that drone would have a programmed thing, right? And it would notify you, "Hey, I'm in the air. What do you want to see?" And my cameras do work with if then then that. Or if this, then that. Yeah. Can you Side control, could you just take over the drone? Could you fly it from your phone? Say, can the drone send you a note and say, I'm in the air? No. Nope. Could you just take it over? So we got a ways to go. Oh, yeah, we do have a ways to go. Right now, you, I mean, it wouldn't be, yeah, you have to use yeah. the actual DJI app. Uh, they did a lot of new rules, actually, with their app that you actually have to use the DJI official app, or it is severely limited to, like, 50 feet from you and only, like, 75 feet in the air. So DJI wants you to use their app um, so it can log everything and... Yeah. yeah, they changed up those rules. Well, you get some great data on them. You get, I just, I watched Dave do it, you know, Dave McCabe. I watched him do his stuff and then we were talking about it offline. And I was just like, wow, I need to get, like I'm doing Bitcoin like, or thinking about the blockchain. I need to do, I just, I need to have a drone in my hands. Yeah. And it's, well, just it's cash not, out all that money you put into Bitcoin. Oh, you didn't. <laughs> uh, you didn't invest when we all did. Didn't make it. I big. hate you, Mike Reeder. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you Mike Leaguer. I just just had to rub salt in the wound just a little bit more. It's good. That's what you're good for. It's good to have you back, but uh, I'm glad you're going to be gone next week. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Get back out of here. Actually, Mike, we're we're closing you uh, down for November. We don't need a Uh, co-host. We're good. We're good. I've done done without you this long. Well, there's some super interesting um, applications, you know, that I was just, just, like why, why couldn't we be using some of these in this takeoff mode right. and then why couldn't i have two or three you know and you think that i could get you know a good average drone now mike is what 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 am i spending if i wanted to get a pretty decent rig not the most expensive, i'm not gonna hundred dollars okay so i that's half the price of the robot lawnmower to be honest and more fun and way so, more fun yeah 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 so, but I can imagine having one or two of those sitting in a container on the deck. It's closed up and protected. And then when, when that event happens, lid pops open. Surprise. Just <laughs> the mailman off. hates coming to your house now. Every time I go over, there, these drones come out. They just, could you just imagine? Because they'd be in the back. And then all of a sudden, a drone shoot up in the air. How weird would that be? That would be weird. 
but that would be, uh, it'd be pretty funny to watch though on the video camera. Uh, Kevin Schoonover in the chat room says county police are using infrared cameras on drones to to look for marijuana plants between cornrows. It must have been him. Someone sent me that article. Yeah, they're actually because these farmers are hiding it in like the corner of their fields. And actually, a lot of times it's not even the farmers. It's like people who have come onto the farmer's land and planted this in the back corner of their field. And the cops show up. and The farmer has no idea it's even out there. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there's some really cool uh, technology. I think drones have we're now like in 2.0, you know, drone 2.0. For where sure. it's really mature and there's some really good stuff and you're paying you see the price it. is coming down yeah i mean yeah. for for what you're getting now you would have paid an insane amount for before i mean the dji phantom 4 pro the next model up from what i have i mean you're getting sensors on all four sides you're getting a much better camera uh better battery life and you're getting a ton more and for for your money and it's essentially the same price as that was back when it came out so you, you were starting to see these advances where you're getting a lot more stuff a lot more bang for your buck uh, in the drone world. Yeah, I think now is the time. If you've been holding off, I think now is the time to jump in uh, on drones. Speaking of the home server show, I got to thank Kevin Schoonover. He uh, he let me walk away with some of his gear uh, when we left. He gave me this ITX board that has an AMD. Kevin, I don't know what I don't e I couldn't even tell you what the processor is on it, uh, but it's a it's a fairly decent one, fairly energy efficient. I need to throw the Belkin. I'm going to throw the Belkin box on it here eventually, but I loaded it up. I um, um, Dave was giving away the IC dock, uh, some IC dock, um, you know, uh, fittings. I don't know what to call them, but I, they, he gave me one where you can put four, um, two, two and a half inch drives, laptop drives in one three and a half inch bay. So it stacks them up really nice. This plastic snap them in, not terribly expensive. I think they're $10 at Amazon. So not terribly expensive. IC dock, IC Y D O C K. If you in one three and a half inch four, drive. Yeah, you can get four laptop drives or four two and a half inch drives in one three and a half inch bay. Okay. Really, really cool. It doesn't do any raid or anything. It's just they snap in and they're there. Right, just it's, a holder for it. Yeah. It's a $10 bracket, right? For that. So took Kevin's board. By the way, this had been my old PF Sense box that I had just stopped working. And I didn't know if it was the power supply or the motherboard. And I never had another ITX board to plug that stuff into to determine. So getting given, getting Kevin's board, brought it home, set it up, plugged it in, put all four drives in, spun the thing up and put 16 gig of RAM in it, which was really, really cool. And uh, boom, I have now a brand new VM box, which I can now run. So I have, I put Windows 10 on it and I have three VMs of Windows 10. So fast ring, slow ring release. Never really been able to do that in any of the equipment I had here. Uh, just nice. didn't work because I didn't have enough RAM. Right. You know, I always put eight. I'd, I'd put, you know, I'd always kind of capped it at eight. And that's really stupid. I should have put the max. By the way, if you ever build in the PC, put the max amount of RAM in there. Well, especially if you're running VMs where right. you're going to have to dedicate that RAM to a VM. No, right on. And so I could run with 16. I could get four for the OS and yeah. then four for each Windows instance. So, Kevin, thanks for your generosity at uh, Home Server Show. You, Kevin, might be one of the most generous guys, Mike, that I've ever, I've ever met. He's he just me stuff before. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. showed me a bunch of. I think it was um, uh, server rack stuff. Server rack. Mm -hmm. Hardware. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the that's why I love this community. I mean, uh, it it's just pretty awesome. Kevin, check your Gmail too, by the way. Uh, if if you would, a little thank you in there in your Gmail. But um, really, really cool to throw that in that shuttle case. And so the whole thing is in a case 
it's only this big. I mean, it's not very big at all. Oh, four really? drives. Yeah, and then Mike, I took I saw each... a picture. It looked big. I thought I thought no. it looked big. No, it's a shuttle case. So gotcha. you know, maybe that big, that wide. It's a it's in a tiny space. Just the size of that ATX board, then. Yeah, basically, and 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 then power supply. So okay, you know, an ATX board's about that big, right? Right. And power supply next to it. So it's the length of that. Jam those four drives in. One of the cool things I was able to do is give each one of those VMs its own dedicated drive in there. Oh, there you go. So yeah, so it worked out. Uh, it worked out pretty nice, and uh, it was it was um, pretty cool to have that availability. I've always kind of wanted a VM box, and this was perfect for it. And so just allowed me to get that set up. That I, uh, Kevin, I'm assuming that AMD chip is fairly efficient uh, in what it does. It's it uh, does. It's not running very hot, and we're we're having a good time with it. So Kevin, thanks for your generosity and for me kind of nice to have a dedicated vm box that's not huge you know and we'll get the, i did run out of, i am officially out of network ports here at the house so i've are you fill, i filled up two 12 uh 12 port switches they're dumb switches they don't have any 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 smarts in them but yeah i fit i i so the the moro data box is now networkless at the moment although I think it might have Wi-Fi in it. It's one of those nooks, so I should probably just connect it to the Wi-Fi. But um, yeah, I'm out 12. So Kevin, thanks for your thanks for your stuff, and I, I appreciate it. Mike, we missed you. I think next year though, they, they they may have talked me into hosting the meetup in Omaha. My ears perked up in the last podcast. I heard you say, I was like, oh, Omaha meetup. Like, all right. I got. What do you think? I could be on board for that. I think I could yeah. definitely make that one. I mean, when you put it in my backyard. Literally, we could have it in my backyard. I mean, I'm just. <laughs> well, maybe maybe we'd have to have, uh, you know, Dave always does the HQ, you know, tour. You're way out west, and I'm thinking of doing it here in, in Midtown or, or whatever. But oh, that's fine. we'll have to get together and, uh, and a little Home Gadget Geeks meetup is, yes. what, we'll, is what we'll do. And uh, I've got some ideas. So we'll start thinking about it. I will. If you're a, if you're a regular listener. Uh, I will probably do some kind of Patreon executive producer. Emily, thank you for it. I hope I can steal that idea from you, Emily. She, for for, for the um, the story behind, she has this executive producer level on Patreon, and they, that's those are the people who really care about what's going on. And so uh, we may open up a level that's five bucks. Just need enough people to commit to it so I know we've got some bodies that are coming, and then we'll start right. working on some vendors and vendor sponsorship and some of those kinds of things. So you in Mike, can you, I am definitely in, I want to, I want to help plan it. I want to be part of it. I'm going to be there. Yeah. I actually really wanted to go this year too. I was sad I didn't get to go because I was like, oh, I knew it was going to be the last one there for a while. Yeah. It was pretty um, good. I wish you could have yeah. come with us. I know it was, uh, it was the best. It was the best one. We talked a bunch about it last week, but it was the best. All right. We have an interview with Dave Crawford. Dave Crawford is a, uh, is a tech evangelist and, and, uh, doing a lot of cool things at Microsoft. I am going to actually play this in. It won't be available in the live show. So for those of you who are listening live, uh, you'll have to go back to the recorded version. I'm going to put this in the produced version. Uh, interview I did with Dave. You don't necessarily need the video for this one because it was just an interview we did at Heartland Developer Conference a couple weeks ago, a really good one. And we talk about some of the same things Mike and I just talked about here, uh, but we get Dave's opinion on it. So uh, I'll roll that and we'll be back here in just a few minutes. Jim Collison, we're live again at uh, Heartland Developer Conference 2017. I think we're in our fourth year 
of doing webcasts out here, a little bonus content. I'm here with Dave Crawford from Microsoft. Dave, welcome to the Heartland Developer Conference. Thanks for having me. You were the session keynote this morning, Thursday morning, first keynote, big deal. Yes. Congratulations. Yeah, on how, how did it go? Um, I think it went well. Um, there was... Um, yeah, my, my humor sometimes stops people, but I think I got a couple of chuckles. So. Well, and you have that accent. Where are you, where are you from originally? Um, I'm from England. In fact, um, are you a Game of Thrones watcher? Uh, no. Oh. I should be, though. Okay. I might be the only guy on the planet. I think you might be. I probably. It's a, new, it's a new I'm vegan, isn't it? I've not seen Game of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm from the north of England. I'm from a place called York. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. And it's basically Wester, uh, not Westeros, Winterfell, if you watch Game of Thrones. Sure. So yeah. Yeah, I'll have my accent. That's where I'm from. It's great. Yeah. No, it's, it, it, for whatever reason, Americans love the British accent. I think they think it's smarter. And I think we're going to find out today. Well, I hope it is. Yeah, I mean, Dave, it, it, it probably is. I don't is. think I'm necessarily going to tick all those boxes. You, you'll do fine. Yeah. Or, or people will have Game of Thrones flashbacks yes. as, they're, as they're hearing you do this. Hey, let's get to know you a little bit. Mm. Give us just a little bit of your bio, your background with Microsoft, what you do for them. Sure. So I've been at Microsoft now for almost 10 years. Um, I spent the first six years of that in the UK um, in Microsoft Consulting Services, which is the, the professional services arm of the company. Um, and during that time... Um, I worked with all kinds of companies, big and small, and in all kinds of different industries, and helping them from a UX and design perspective um, get involved with Microsoft technologies and solve their, the problems that they have. Um, and a few years just before I moved to the US, so it's probably around about, I don't know, 2010 or something like that, um, a small group of us um, uh, pitched this piece of work internally to um, help the marketing team um, launch Windows Phone. Um, and we, we kind of ran a little team like a startup um, where um, money was coming from the Windows marketing team. Mm -hmm. um, and we grew it into a service where any major app that was coming through um, the review system, if it was from a major partner across the world, like the contact in Russia or um, Sina Weibo in China or Facebook in the US, they'll come through our team for um, quality reviews. So they come through for a technical, technical review and a UX review and to help them out and respond with that kind of stuff. And that kind of evolved into a service where we actually start to build um, and design a lot of the flagship apps on Windows and Windows Phone. So um, I'm very lucky to have worked with um, like building Spotify and Facebook and PayPal and big names like that, um, which I wouldn't really get to do at many of the places. Yeah. Um, so although I am a Microsoft employee and I have been for a very long time, I don't actually build Microsoft products. I, I build other people's products. Yeah, the ecosystem apps, right? The apps yeah. that get people in those. Windows Phone, of course, has, has, has not been the launch that we were hoping for, but a lot of things have moved on with Windows 10 yes. and kind of uh, the, 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 the universal system that's yeah. coming out. Uh, how, how's that coming internally? I mean, so what are you doing now? And, sure. and, and I know Microsoft's making a big emphasis on the store in Windows 10 as we think of Windows 10 S yep. coming. We're trying to keep things in the store. Yeah, how's that going? I'm good. Um, I've recently switched focus now that I'm in, in Windows. Um, so now I work a lot with um, flagship apps coming to the platform. So um, uh, apps like Adobe XD, uh, which is a full UWP app, um, which has been brought over, to, which has been dealt actually from scratch uh, for Windows. Um, and um, I don't know if you're aware of iTunes coming to. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I heard that. Store. So it's actually my project. I heard that. Yeah, um, that's that and Chrome, I think, are what need to come before yeah. we can really be well, there. Yeah, Chrome will be hard. Chrome will be hard. Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah um, that Apple project is, I've, I've been running that project for about a year, year and a bit now. Um, yeah. I'm very lucky to have a fantastic team who I work Great. with. Um, so I focus will on that those. Get, can I just, sorry, I'm sorry yeah. can, will that get optimized? Uh, today, the iTunes app on Windows. It's a pretty terrible experience that, you know, the, the x86 app 
in this process of rewriting it for the store, will it get better, just a little more efficient? Maybe, will you guys be able to do some UX, UI stuff to make it better? Um, so, uh, as you may be aware, <laughs> did, I, did I just <laughs> These are ask difficult you a question? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Apple are um, very good at what they do. Yeah. Um, and as you know, they are quite secretive about what they do. Sure, so, sure. Um, I don't actually know. Mm. Fair enough. The improvements yeah, they're making. Um, all I know is that they are good. You know, well, it's good to see it's coming. Yeah, it's good to yeah. see it's coming. That's yeah. that. It, it's it's tough to have a store without yeah. iTunes. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so good to hear yeah. it's coming. What else? Um, so I also work a lot with um, new devices. So as we have new devices coming through our development testing process, um, I partner with our um, device teams to find um, partners who um, have great experiences that would gel well with the new devices that we're, that we're making. So for example, for Surface Studio and Surface Dial, um, I worked with um, a bunch of different partners on bringing their experiences for launch. So Moho, for example, is a great um, professional grade animation package. Um, so working with those guys and seeing how we can build new UI and how we can build these new experiences into their existing um, you know, pro-level app was, was fascinating. Um, and we, I, this is something I do on an ongoing basis with new devices that can online. Unfortunately, I can't talk too much about new devices. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, I also get to build some apps of my own every now and then. Um, my team is responsible for the Windows section of the build keynote. So we actually build the demos and write the scripts for our, um, our execs. Um, so that's fun as well, getting to, you know, go on stage. Well, yeah. seeing your work on stage, at least. Before we started talking, mm -hmm. you're kind of a self-professed gadget guy. Yes. And much. so, of course, in the last couple of years, Microsoft's gotten very into gadgets, which mm -hmm. has been great, right? You mentioned the studio and the dial. Yeah. Do you get to interact with those? So is part of your job, do you get to interact with the hardware? Oh, as, yes. As much so. Well, that's, the thing. that's good for you, right? devices, you, you know, you have to. So right. um, it's uh, we have a process that I don't know how much I'm showing that I shouldn't be showing here, but um, uh, we have a process called tenting, which is um, getting brought inside the secret new upcoming projects. I'm very lucky that I actually get to get tented on stuff relatively early. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, with the Surface Studio, for example, I mean, I still have a prototype on my desk that I still use. Mm -hmm. um, it's I don't get a production one, but I get I have this really cool prototype, and it's yeah, it's fun to work with it. Um, and yeah. also being a creative professional, having something like the Studio and the Dial um, with great pen support as well makes my workflow so much faster. Um, and I can really, I'm genuine when I talk to other designers about the, the um, effects it can have on your workflow because mm -hmm. I've, I've lived through them myself. And do you get a chance to use the studio, Surf Studio very often or is it a part of your regular workflow? It's, um, so I use it whenever I do any creative work. Mm -hmm. um, it depends where I, I, my work kind of oscillates between program management work and creative work. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. For the creative work, has say it takes up a significant part of my workflow for that. But for the PM work, obviously I, Right, yeah, it's not not an essential nope. technology for that, but it's something something that I like to use whenever I can. I mean, I have a Surface Book and a Studio, so I'm kind of spoiled. So, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I'd love to put one in my podcasting studio. I think yes. Surface yeah. Studio. I'm not sure I can justify the <laughs> yeah. the expense. It's so great. Oh, it is great. Great piece of device. hardware. Yeah. yeah, no, great piece of hardware. Um, on Home Gadget Geeks, we spent some time talking about uh, augmented virtual mm. and you know, reality devices. And of course, you don't have to say anything secret. There's a bunch of them, HoloLens, mm. and then there's a bunch of new devices coming out by other vendors as well as Microsoft. Yeah. Have you gotten much uh, in the mixed reality space? Have you gotten a chance to work in there? So um, I've been, been involved in HoloLens for a long time, actually, but mainly with other partners. But recently, um, I've started to skill myself up on um, AR and MR kind of experiences. So um, we actually have a dedicated team within my department who focus on MR and VR with third parties. I'm trying to skill myself up in, in just asset creation right now. So I'm going through the motions of, of learning Maya, which is not easy. Um, 
it's it's very powerful, but it's not an easy thing to learn. But yeah. I'm I'm trying to learn how to do that so that I can better support um, the people that I work with, and also for demos or for, for work with partners. So I can be like, well, you know, here's how you build these assets that work well on MR devices. Or that kind of yeah. Thing. Well, and I'd love to see the price point come down. So we're yes. pushing down price points yes, a little bit with the new the new headsets that are coming out, starting at three nine nine, and the. Um, the thing I love, sorry, I'm a little bit of a promo right now. Yeah, yeah, that's the, great. The thing I love about these headsets is that they are world tracking. So you're not restricted to having things on sticks and camera setups and you can put them on in any room and it will scan the room just like HoloLens does. It's the same technologies mm -hmm. that, that power HoloLens. Um, and I'm just super excited that they're, they're I mean, they're below 500 bucks, yeah. which is crazy. So our last Home Gadget Geeks, mm. we interviewed uh, Dwayne Robinson. He is uh, He's on the car. He's on the auto team there, right? They're the embedded vehicle, right? Yeah. That's what they're doing. And he, uh, he, he, we went through kind of the VR setups and he showed the headsets. We also spent a lot of time talking about video cards required to do yes. this. And the other thing that's coming down is the minimum specs are coming mm -hmm. down, it seems yeah. like. So the average consumer, if they're going to develop, that's going to be one thing. Yeah. But um, I, I think we're seeing a nice drop in video cards. Of course, video cards are now competing. Uh, mixed reality is competing with Bitcoin for high end. Yeah, right? yeah, have you, have you gotten bitten by the Bitcoin rage that's going on right now at all? So I kind of wish I had been bitten like a year ago. <laughs> like, yeah. No, <laughs> like right when Bitcoin was well, you and me both, cheaper. we did home gadget geek shows like two years ago and it was like $200. Yeah. And they told me at the time to buy it and I didn't. And it's mm. 40 Nine, eight hundred, forty-seven, something like that today. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Pretty ridiculous. Um, I, I would love to get involved with, with Bitcoin or with my, my friends are massive fan of Ethereum. Um, he yeah. get beat. I think I've missed that now because he, yeah. he was actually telling me about it like two weeks before the massive bubble appeared. And it's like, ah, damn it. Which well, I it's okay there. though. I think uh, we're just in the early stages. There's always these moments, right? Yeah. There's a huge run up in Bitcoin too when it mm. first and then it pulled back and it's kind of in a bubble now. And you think of Litecoin yeah. and Ethereum. That there's a whole bunch of different altcoins out yeah. there, and there's some interesting things being done with the blockchain. Uh, uh, do you know, I was actually um, reading something, or might have even been on the NPR podcast that I was into the day. Um, the same thing with the instabilities happening with North Korea. Traditionally, um, investors put money into the yen, but because Japan is so close to all this instability that's happening in, in the DPRK, um, they're actually putting it into um, blockchain currencies, which is, I mean, that is, that is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I yes still have no. Yeah. I still, I still have difficulty reconciling the fact that it's not a gold standard backed. Right. So I know it's not essential anymore. And it's never been it's, a part, it has not yeah. been a part of the US. We like we have not mm. been gold backed for a long time. And it it's and I'm not, you know, I'm never gonna make a million dollars off Bitcoin, but it's an interesting I think the blockchain concept is yeah. the most interesting. And when you think about the technology and then the hardware, especially when we're talking about mixed reality now with those coming down and the mm. computer really getting to a spot where I think the average consumer can now afford to be in. Now you mentioned the mixed reality headset that's coming. Um, and I think this is a key point. I don't think people know the sensors, I think because some of the connect work is built into the headset. Yeah, just like HoloLens. Yeah. I, don't, I never knew with Oculus Rift, you had to have these sensors put yeah. throughout the room. Right? And you have to like set them up and calibrate them and stuff. And like with, with these you know, headset based tracking systems, you can just, in any place you're in, you can just put it on, it's fine. You can take it to a friend's house plug into their machine and it will just work. With a, with a yeah. 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 Obviously, assuming it's a VR capable PC, but you know, the well, prices are coming down when people are getting them. I was able to get um, NVIDIA 1060 VR ready. I think that's mm -hmm. really important that people know that make sure if you're buying a new card, it needs to be VR ready for that. Yeah. A whole bunch of HDMI ports so you could plug multiple pieces in. USB is going to yeah. be important too on the PCs. 
but that minimum requirement of that uh, three gig on the card and a 1060 uh, 225 for the card not too bad yeah, yeah. the high-end cards are going and then five and six hundreds because of mining right now yeah. to be honest with you yeah. Uh, and so um, I, I think it's coming down. Yeah. What are you seeing? You're in that space. When we talk about the practical, HoloLens has been kind of a gimmick a little bit. It's kind of worked in some areas and not. You're seeing something, not asking you to disclose anything, but how do you feel about mixed reality for the future? And are you starting to see some real practical applications coming that may make its way into the enterprise? Um, so with HoloLens in particular, we, we're currently targeting enterprise. Um, you know, it's still a reference design, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think that... Um, there are certain applications of VR and MR technologies that um, appeal more to different segments, whether it's to consumer or whether it's enterprise or you know, everything in between. Um, price points obviously clearly a factor, but also practical use. I mean, um, with HoloLens, I mean, you do need a decent amount of space to move around in because these are, these are world-based holograms that it pro you know, produces. And I'm, I'm sure you're familiar, I guess yeah. you've used one a few times. Um, so like if you're if you're trying to play Minecraft in your living room, for example, you know, you'd have the space for it really so that Minecraft can appear on your table and on your floor and that kind of stuff. The great thing about VR is it's all, all self-enclosed you know, self and you move around just virtually, you can run it in the smallest spaces. I think we're gonna see, um, this is my personal opinion, but I think we're gonna see VR um, catch on much more in the consumer space initially. I think MR is gonna still be in the realm of enterprise until the price point comes down, until experience um, gets more improved. I mean, we saw, Google making similar inroads with Google Glass. I mean, it never really caught on for, well, for social reasons as well with, with, with Glass, as, as I'm sure you're well aware. But, um, you know, they, they recently released an update of the hardware for enterprise. I mean, it's, I think that AR still makes more sense in enterprise space. I think that consumers need a general introduction to, to AR because AR is, it's, it's a different way of, of interacting compared to VR. So once pe people get used to having VR in the comfort of their own room and interacting virtually with people and with virtual <laughs> objects, I think introducing MR and blending these two realities will be a little bit easier. Yeah, um, you mentioned the social aspect yeah. of it not catching on. And what about you, the UI aspect of it? Mm. Yeah, that's your specialty yeah. and a lot of what you're yeah. thinking about. How, how, where, where do you think we need to go from a UI yeah. to, to make it even better? And what are you hoping Again, not disclosing anything, mm -hmm. but what are you hoping that, that we'll get to to make that better? Well, this, this is an area that genuinely fascinates me. I mean, if you think about how um, UI and UX has evolved, like it's, it's, it's grown up really in 2D, in 2D interfaces. I mean, there's a UX is very much just infancy and command line stuff. It didn't, it didn't really exist. And then as a practice, it's got much stronger over the past you know, 20 years um, with the two-dimensional interfaces. But it now means that, that the 3D space is still much of a wild west. It's, there's still gold to be won, there's still standards to set and you know, accolades to, to achieve. And um, for me, it's coming up with a consistent set of navigating um, virtual environments is gonna be paramount to its success. I mean, already we have so many different controller styles. Well, I'll say so many, we have like three or four right now, but whether it's um, actual handheld virtual controllers that you can see um, like, like Oculus have or HTC have or, or we have with our motion controllers, or whether it's just keyboard and mouse or Xbox controller base, so there's already so many different ways of interacting with this. To a degree, it's great. I mean, we want to have as many entry points as possible so as many people can use it with whatever hardware they have and whatever entry point. But it's, there's going to be um, uh, a crucial like, um, Infl uh, not influx, a uh, pivot point where one technology will take the lead. And I think we're still trying to find what that is. We're still trying to define not just the hardware that we need to interact with, but also the visual cues and the, um, 
the things that make sense because we're we're messing with people's perception of the real world. I mean, we're literally messing with what they see right. and what their brain interprets and what they hear and stuff. There's so many things we have to work out, and there's there's a lot of research. I know that Microsoft invests a significant amount of research into to MR and VR and, and the human factors aspect of it. Um, so there's some. There's some names to be made, and there's also some some standards to set, and it's yeah. it's an exciting time to be in it. It is. I, I think we have a lot of work to do yeah. there. Uh, what about Cortana coming into that space and being helpful? Have you seen anything where we're beginning to to do to do more voice, where I don't have to necessarily use my hands or use a controller? Yeah. Are we seeing anything like that yet? I think that's. Well, we've seen a massive prol proliferation recently of voice assistants in our daily lives. Mm -hmm. um, Things like uh, Siri, for example, or Google Assistant, maybe might not get as much activation on phones and um, wearables as, as the manufacturers would like. However, when it comes to standalone devices that's in your home, like Google Home or um, the, uh, the Cortana speakers, Bimchi Swahama Carden, or the obviously the, the Echo range of devices, um, we are very comfortable just talking to something in thin air. I think that we, we're going to see more of that happening in the VR space and the MR space. For example, right now, um, a significant amount of interactions you can do with HoloLens by using air tapping with your hands. You can actually do with, with Cortana. It still responds to, hey, Cortana. Everything gets activated that way. Um, but we're still trying to figure out what people are comfortable issuing voice commands to do because um, in many interfaces, still, voice commands are slower than actually just doing it yourself until it gets to the point where voice assistant can take a more complex language and more complex queries, um, which are faster than doing things you know, manually. Um, so there's, there's that aspect to it as well, but the probably the major stumbling block to voice interfaces for um, either two-dimensional, three-dimensional, um, a non-ambient um, experiences is that discoverability is, is, is a real stumbling block for them. Um, you don't want to have like, walls of information that say what you can say to something that you have to scan through anyway, which when it be clicked to type. So, and we don't trust um, voice assistants yet to just um, understand enough context or enough um, unguided commands or uh, things that are out of its kind of range of activation keywords. So I think that we need to trust voice assistants more, but in order for us to trust them more, they need to give us more value first. So I think we've, we've seen some fantastic inroads into that with, with Cortana and Siri and um, Echo and Google Assistant, sorry, Alexa and Google Assistant. Um, but they need to be able to do more and be more proactive and also just um, be more like talking to a person. Um, we tend to treat them a little bit differently to people, but at the minute we, we treat them like they're um, children that don't understand what we're saying half the time. And for them to be helpful to us, they need to. They kind of are children, aren't they? Yeah, they are. In I know a lot it's, of ways. It's kind of up to us to bring them up, I guess. Yeah, yeah. They, they got a ways to grow. When hmm. you think of UX, UI, traditionally we think of that on a screen in a two dimensional. We, we talked about virtual, where now we're 3D. Does voice, is, is voice UX and UI the same idea? Can you think of it in the same way? It's about making improvements and what mm. people say, or is that completely different because it's all verbal commands? I don't know if you know, but I'll, I'll ask you that question. Mm. Are those two different fields of study, or is it the same concept, same ideas, just applied to voice as well, opposed to what we see? Well, um, visual design and UX design are on a bigger spectrum of, of human-computer interaction, and um, voice interaction is definitely an aspect of that. It's, it's a you know, significant part of HCI these days. So yeah, it's, it's definitely part of the UX spectrum. Um, if you think about it, people may think that it's because there's no visual UI, then it's, it's a super simple thing to deal with. You know, it, you say something, it responds to you. But if you think about the times that you've interacted with voice assistants and they will, um, how you have to 
phrase things in a very prescriptive way or um, how they don't carry context through. There are still many UX considerations you have to take into account here. Um, for example, I can say to um, uh, Google Assistant, sorry, to Alexa, for example, I can say, what's the weather like in Nebraska today? And she will tell me, but she'll tell me in Fahrenheit. So I'll say, what's that in Celsius? Because I'm obviously you know, European. Um, and she'll say, I don't understand. Yeah. And it's like, well, I, I asked you a moment ago, you need to carry context through. Um, assistants like Google Assistant or Cortana, for example, can carry that context through. So you can say, you know, well, it's in Celsius and we'll repeat the same thing. But you have to hear that whole thing again. Whereas I don't want to hear the weather today in you know, Seattle is blah, blah, blah. I just want to hear 15 degrees. And just that kind of a level of HDI is something that um, is still something that needs to be applied to voice assistants. And there's still, there's still a bunch of efforts to understand the amount of information that you need to give and also the amount of um, intuition that these assistants have and how much they can safely assume from a user without them feeling uncomfortable and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always, uh, I always look to Iron Man and mm -hmm. Tony Stark and the assistant Jarvis mm -hmm. is, I think, a really good example where it, it feels like another person who cares. Yeah. And yeah. who's carrying on a conversation, not just one command after another. Yeah. Do you feel like we're getting closer to more context? And I know we have a lot of new stuff coming with Windows 10 and the Fall Creators Update. Cortana is bringing some new features. We've been mm -hmm. there public. We've been testing them in the Insiders program. But do you feel like we're getting better with that, just as kind of on the outside looking? Yeah. I think that with, with context in particular, I think that's one of the, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a low hanging fruit, but I'd say it's one of the essential fruit that needs to be like, yeah. I don't want to really want to extend this metaphor, but like needs to be on this, on the tree. But right, um, right, right. it's uh, until, until we have context, I think, I don't think we can really go much further than that. Um, and it's not just context as in what's the utterances that being issued to the, um, the assistants It's also the context in like, I'm in a car, so there's gonna be lots of background noise or like, I'm in a car, so my queries are probably going to relate to driving in some way. Or I'm at home, so they're probably going to be related to, you know, timers or weather yeah. or things like that. So there's a bunch, there's so many different aspects that they've yet to solve. Um, I think that like the big four, um, so um, big four in voice assistants at least, so Microsoft, Google, um, uh, Amazon, and um, and the fourth one that escapes me. <laughs> Yeah, I was just I think, thinking through uh, Siri. Siri. That's, right. Oh, yeah, of course. That's small. That's more voice you know. assistant. Yeah. Um, Dwayne Johnson is now going to bust yeah, through. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the good thing about having four competing ecosystems is it's going to drive innovation. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that, I mean, that's why I have multiple voice assistants. I'm obviously a Microsoft employee, but I have multiple assistants in my home because I want to understand the differences and be able to to improve our products. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of that is understanding what other things do well and what they don't do well and what the opportunities are. And uh, yeah. Well, and I love the fact that Cortana is going to start working with Alexa yes. uh, in the future. That's just announced. And, yeah. I, and I think because all four of them have really diff different strengths. Yes, they do. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's funny that to me, um, uh, a friend was asking me the other day, like, um, which do I like better out of the voice assistants? And I say, well, the thing I love about Echo, for example, is it talks to all my home devices. Um, it's super good doing that. It'll also, it will order me like more cat food or it'll order me, you know, more tea bags from Amazon and I can track my orders and stuff. But doing anything else, I have difficulties with it. Whereas I look at Cortana or Google, uh, sorry, Google Assistant, and they're so good at giving me information and maintaining context. And Cortana in particular, at keeping on top of my schedule and things like that. I mean, she is, I mean, I'm using she, I'm already, you know, <laughs> 
You've already nature. ascribed a yeah. human likeness to her. Yeah. yeah. So um, she's so good at like being practiced like you need to leave for the airport and things like that. Like yeah. she's so she's got some great proactive things. Um, and Google Assistant is great with obviously Google Knowledge Graph at pulling those things together. But having Cortana and Alexa talking to each other, I think is first of all, I think it's a really smart move. And second of all, I think it's going to be super powerful consumers um, because um, we're going to have all of Cortana's knowledge graph and um, integration to things like Office and that kind of stuff mixed in with Alexa's ability to talk to my devices and also talk to um, a, a retail giant with all those skills that they have. I think it's it's a really good partnership yeah. that we have that. And it, it's, it stops one company from trying to boil the ocean themselves. Yeah. Each, each person takes a pail and tries yeah. to do a little bit. Well, in it, we think about the presence and the location services that come with Siri mm. and Google, and it's it knows my movement. You know, you mentioned context. I was uh, uh, before we started. I was telling you that I just started using Azure Media Services uh, to index some audio, and it actually gives me a before I kick the index off, it gives me the ability to put in some clues, like okay, what's this about, mm. and what are some keywords I might want to look for, and what are some unusual things that I might be saying? HoloLens is what I, I yeah. the example. I like how you do the stenographer and you give them some right. keywords. Industry yeah. specific, if you're a doctor, you yeah. know, it might be words that are hard to spell. or And so, and it keeps track of those as it's doing this indexing so that if it comes across a words it doesn't really understand, it will take hints from that yeah. and be able to find them. I think when we think about uh, virtual assistants, I think we're going to have to get to that spot where, like you mentioned, this is what tipped me off to that. I'm in a car. Chances are I'm going to be asking traveling-like questions, yep. gas stations, yep. food, next stop, those kinds of things, emergency services that might relate mm. to the car. Um, by the way, we have all these fitness trackers on us now that can tell us how we're feeling and how we're doing and yeah. if we're struggling sleeping. And, you know, I just think for people who think this is a mature market, I think there's some very, very exciting yeah. Um, things that I mean, th these are new technologies to us, just like AR and VR are. I mean, we've had we've had them all around in kind of nascent forms for you know, 10, 15 years. I mean, do you remember Kurzweil Voice or Dragon Dictate and stuff? Like these technologies have been around, but they're starting to get to a point where there's, the, I wouldn't say there's maturity, but like they're they're starting on that path. Like they've yeah. they've grown up from the infants and they're starting to just kind of grow up a little bit. And the same yeah. thing with VR. We've had VR experiences since the 80s, but they've been not great and not yeah. not accessible. And, well, and I think the ultimate goal is some predict some things. I think we're still away from being where things can be predictable. Yeah, why it can do the prediction for us. I know we're making some strides in that. Have Have you done any work or thought any about when we think about the the UX UI world of self healing or predictive UX UI, where the experience changes as the consumers in it based on their habits and what mm. they do, or try to make some predictions about hey. I know because I have the phone and I got all this information. I know the user likes to do it this way. I'm going to change as as we're mm -hmm. on the fly. Is that being done anywhere or thought about? So it's actually an aspect of, of UX. Um, there's, there's fields of research into that. Um, kind of, it's, it's, it's adaptive UX, really. Yeah. It's literally adapting to the situation they're in. There's also like it's if you boil it back down to before we could have like AI models we could train or paths that users could follow. Um, there was stuff that could be done with statistical analysis, which I know is obviously the backbone to a lot of AI, you know, interfaces anyway. Um, such as you know, user does this stuff more often, so like surface those results first or surface those options. But um, when it comes down to the, the even earlier aspects of it, it was around like self-correcting for like error processes. So if users, you know, were doing things wrong, then the system would recognize that 
it's not quite going all according to the plans. So they try and compensate for different things. And there are actually areas of thought that study this stuff. I'm, I'm not an expert, unfortunately. Um, it's still very much in its research and kind of development phase right now. I wouldn't say it's to the point where it's being rolled out into anything mainstream. But that said, um, a lot of it does tie back into voice assistance. I mean, you can now imagine only be able to phrase, um, you know, what's the traffic like, what's the weather like in one way, it would drive you insane. So we already have this, this fuzzy logic yeah. um, that's applied to speech recognition. So yeah. I think we're going to start to see it more in other um, avenues of interface. Obviously, there are areas where it's not, it's never really going to take off in terms of um, error correction, you know, things where you need to be super precise, like, um, uh, like architecture or uh, safe critical systems example. But what it could do is have fail safes in there that can be like, oh, you haven't done this, so you need to do this. Or like, right. But, so there's, there's always going to be odd industries that stand out against it, but I think it's something we're going to start to see in the mainstream. Yeah. Well, like you used that traffic example, and I, I really want it like traffic's really important to me on my commute. Now in Omaha, let's be honest, like Seattle, Francisco, like Omaha's not any of those when it comes to traffic, but I would love for that assistant to find me wherever. So it sends, hey, I go to work about the same time every day. It can sense where I'm at, when I'm going, when my car starts, it knows I'm going somewhere. It should do everything it can if there's an accident or a slowdown to alert me yeah. faster, sooner to say, I know you normally go this way. You're not going to want to do that. Mm. Let's. We're going to reroute you this way, and here's why. Um, I don't. There's. It's that's kind of working, but I think we still have a ways to go Definitely. in that in that user experience. Yeah, yeah. And there's also like there's an element of how much you're willing to surrender over to the machine. For example, if are you, are you going to blindly follow um, a rerouting, or are you going to want to know more about it, or are you going to know which roads it's taking down, or um, how much extra time it's actually going to be, and are you going to trust that they've taken into account the fact that you know kids have just started going back to school and things? Like, there's so many things that we we need to um, trust in the machine yeah. before we can actually allow the machine to do that thing for Correct. us. Um, it's yeah. a fascinating space right now. It's, yeah, but surrender. It's it's all it's a whole new world. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I if, you know I grew up in the first PC generation, right? I was I was those kids that grew up with the very first PCs. And we thought it was great. I think we're in a second or a third wave where we're just scratching the surface now on what these devices can do for us and yeah. how cool they can be. So. I, I, I would agree. I, I think that we're definitely starting, I'd say the third wave, because um, we now have digital natives. I'm sure you've heard that bandied around an awful lot, like ad nauseum. But these are kids who are growing up where voice assistants are the norm, um, smartphones are the norm, VR is going to be the norm. Um, I was, I guess I was a second wave. Um, my first, my first PC I got when I was, I think, 12 years old. Maybe I think it's about 12, maybe a little bit older or younger. But it was like a, it was a Pentium 90, and you know, with tiny free, free internet, right? Uh, or... Actually, just to look up, so it's 96 when I got okay, my so machine. Okay, so just coming online. So I had a, a V34 yeah. modem. So my yeah, first yeah. machine was internet connected. So Same. I don't have any experience of a home computer that doesn't have the internet. Yeah. That's all I've ever known. I mean, at school, obviously, we had you know four eight sixes, which didn't have internet connections um, for about two or three years. But I was like the beginning of the. I, that's why I call it the second wave. It's when things internet connections became connected, the norm. The connected yeah. PC, so yeah. to speak, and then WAP phones and yeah, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that. it's what what an amazing world we live in, Dave. We'll have to have you back on Home Gadget Geeks to, to talk more awesome. about this. But thank you, thanks for coming on. Thank you very on. much. Thanks Hang tight for me. one second. We'll be sure. back uh, if you're watching on the live page, and there's a few of you who are. We'll start the next video at the next video down. So you'll want to just look down there. All the videos throughout the day are listed there. 
and uh, we'll close this one up. So we want to thank you for watching. We'll be back with the next video here in about five minutes. All right, Mike, I'll have to give you a shot to watch that video at some point uh, as we as we get in there. Um, but I think we'll do a wrap on the show here. Thanks for coming back, and and uh, I get you for now. And then when do I get you again? I think the 9th of November will be the next time I will be back. Okay. And I'll be back for quite a few weeks. So I'm, we're working on Dave McCabe for the 9th, and we're going to do an all-drone show. So we're going to talk about parts, and we're going to talk about the drones themselves, and what are the leaders, and what's a low, medium, and high purchase. And again, I, I'll probably get try and get Keith Lunsford on here. As well, Keith, if you're listening to this, just get in touch with me, would you? We'll see if then we can get you on the ninth. Uh, be fun to talk about that uh, that as well. But Mike, good to have you back. Stay around for a few minutes. We'll do some post show. Sounds good. And, uh, we'll do that. Don't forget Patreon if you want to support it. Mike and I will come up with some kind of way for you to help us uh, get this meetup going. I am going to tr- probably look for at least thirty guys that will come down here, be a part of what we're doing. And Mike, I've got kind of a new uh, got a new angle on the way we do meetups. So I'm gonna I'll run that by you. We'll kind of work on some things with it. But sounds uh, great. And if you want to support the show, head out to the Patreon link. Just head out to theaverageguy.tv slash support or theaverageguy.tv. Just look for the Patreon link. If you want to contact us, you got questions. Neil, I always appreciate your comments every single week. He's, Neil's been a great listener and just gives me, he's the one guy every single week that just gives me great comments about what we're doing on the show. So, Neil, I appreciate your feedback. You could do it as well. Send me an email, jim at theaverageguy.tv, or Twitter is very active for this group. You can do that as well. Uh, don't forget the AverageGuy.tv platform, both web and media hosting, powered by Maple Grove Partners. Get secure, reliable, high-speed hosting from people you know and you trust. For more information, visit MapleGrovePartners.com. Of course, you know Christian's running that. The plans start at $10, both media and web hostings, optimized for podcasters. So if you're thinking about doing that, 10 bucks a month, super cheap. And one of the one of the least expensive ways to go with podcasting. Uh, check it out, MapleGrovePartners.com. Don't forget, uh, yeah, actually, uh, other Jim said drone racing. I think we're going to make drone racing a part of this home gadget geeks meetup. Mike. I like it. Yeah. I have really you, like it. Have you been down to the field uh, in Council Bluffs over there by the casinos where they used to, or they do uh, model. Is that dog track or what? Yeah, well, it's on this side of, of the track, of the old oh, track. Yes. Yep. You know what I'm exactly talking about? They should do old model, you know, model plane. Yep. Can you take, can we, can we just, I wonder if we can just take that place over for. Well, I've been over there right by that lake too. What's that lake that's. Uh, Manawa, like Manawa. Yeah. I've flown mm-hmm. it right over there, which is not too far. Yeah. I'm sure we can just take over that field and rip them around. For we should while. be able to find some space. And I think as part of the meetup on Saturday, it will be a drone, kind of a drone afternoon. Yeah. And that'd be kind of cool. great. Drone great. racing. So, so other gym. Yeah. Maybe we'll get some drone racing. In there, uh, don't forget. Sorry, I got distracted there. <laughs> don't forget, you can catch Home Gadget Geeks on our mobile app, both iPhone and Android, available for you. We thank LastPass for their continued sponsorship of the app. And uh, Amber's coming on here in a couple weeks. Uh, but you, you can download that homegadgetgeeks.com. We thank LastPass for their great sponsorship. Uh, one more thing don't forget to join the newsletter, theaverageguy.tv slash newsletter. There's a link or slash subscribe. Either one of those gets you there. I'm doing it almost weekly now, and so if you're subscribed to that, you're getting caught up on what's going on and where we're going. A few notes from me. I don't spam you, so jump out there, join the newsletter. A couple hundred of you out there. Actually, I think only 60. I had a, my newsletter got spammed. Remember? Do you remember that when I had a whole I bunch remember. of people sign up for it? They're still there, and it's like they never bounce. Those email accounts still work. People don't unsubscribe. I have no idea who those people are. <laughs> but hey, just, 
getting some high quality email content from I get 250 on the list and only 60 get delivered I mean only 60 get opened and pretty regularly so I know I really only so have they're about killing some. your numbers though That's oh the yeah it's the percentage is awful yeah the percentage could be so much better but uh, we'll put up with it we are live every Thursday 8pm Central 9 Eastern on hurttheaverageguy.tv live if you're listening to the recorded version thanks for listening to the long version if you're here live hang tight we're going to do some post show and uh, with that we'll say goodnight everybody <laughs>